This is a Momentum Media production. The IFA Show. The stories behind the financial advice headlines with the team from IFA. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the IFA show. Maya here, the editor of the IFA. Joining me today is Dennis Oric, the Chief Strategy Officer of Wealth Management Platform Premium. Welcome to the show, Dennis. How are you doing? Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. So today we will be discussing the evolving landscape of wealth management and in administration platforms. But first, Dennis, I do have to ask you, uh, recently we've obviously seen the Financial Services Minister, Stephen Jones, release the long-awaited government's response to the quality of advice review. What are your thoughts on that one? What do you sort of think of the 14 recommendations? Thanks. Yeah, I think there's some, obviously, the overwhelming viewers that super is the winner yeah uh, super, super funds are the winner however i think for the industry yeah there's a little bit of devil in the detail particularly around what, what does the new statement of advice format look like mm-hmm. uh similarly around the the fee consent structures and how's that going to look into the future so i think from that perspective administratively yeah absolutely across the industry it's a welcome change uh, i think the super Super funds moving to advice-style models will be interesting and how they scale their businesses for that. Um, are they fit for purpose for that today? Will they be reliant on um, digital or, or AI-generated advice versus personal advice? I don't think it's it solves the answer that you know, maybe they're looking for and that we're circa 10,000 advisors short in Australia. Yeah. I don't think that's going to be fixed anytime soon, but either that makes the advisor administrative burden uh, reduced to enable them to focus on on clients, obviously, yeah, should enable them to increase the number of clients that they can service. Do I think it will have a dramatic impact on cost of advice? Potentially, maybe at the lower spectrum of the market and, you know, at the lower end of the retail market. But as you go through the gears of the client types and, and the client balances, I don't think it's going to have a dramatic impact on the cost of advice at the higher levels and put, certainly potentially at the levels where people are moving into that retirement phase as well. Yeah, you're right. And uh, basically, you know, there's still a lot to do. They've just given their sort of thoughts on the report. Yeah. Still has to go through even the SOAs and things like that. Still have to go through sort of the parliament and As things like that. So it's going to be a long phase. process. That's the biggest thing. I mean, yeah. Are we at the, uh, what is the old Gartner hype cycles at the peak of of inflated expectations? And yeah, as we go through the next phase of mm-hmm. the parliamentary reviews, et cetera, do we go into the trough of disillusionment? Yeah, God, it's going to be a long time, I feel, unfortunately, until we actually see some concrete sort of changes. Just staying on the topic of the quality of advice review, but sort of moving away from the government's response. Obviously, the QAR has been a high profile topic since its release or even since sort of the review started back in March 2022. And its recommendations are likely, like we said, see further changes to the wealth management and advice landscape with a focus on ensuring investors receive accurate and appropriate financial advice. How do you see wealth management platforms needing to evolve to support these changes? Yeah, look, I think it's important to probably identify what's the what's the primary functions across the value chain in wealth, I suppose. And mm-hmm. if we're looking at platforms, yeah, one of the primary functions from platforms is to, I suppose, facilitate the reporting and administration of investments and advice and make the advice process simpler and the administration process around that more efficient. 
So, you know, providing comprehensive, transparent data is critical. And obviously the reports that support the advice that's been provided by the advisor. So when we look at that, you know, so collating and presenting client information in a relevant format, being able to disseminate the investment strategies and how advice might change over time, uh, may have changed over time for in that investor's life cycle, and that helps the advisor demonstrate the appropriateness mm-hmm. and the value of the advice they're getting, being given, I suppose. And then technology obviously overlays a, an aspect of being able to monitor the advice over time calibrating the advice to the profile, changes in the underlying investments, et cetera, and alerting advisors to anything that deviates from what the strategy was. And, then, you know, you look at how – and technology is just an enabler for all of this, mm. which is important. So we sort of look at, you know, how do we leverage things like artificial intelligence, machine learning. You know, we're in the whole chat GPT hype at the moment. You know, if you wind your mind back maybe five or six years, seven years ago, blockchain was going to change the world and, and solve all our problems as well. So technology is just an, a tool, and I think sometimes a new technology will, will come on the scene and it sort of becomes a, a solution looking for a problem, not so much identifying the problem for the solution. But certainly, we, you know, we've done work of our own with in, in, the, in the artificial intelligence insights. We have an AI insights capability, and that's all about identifying investor behaviour through learning from their engagement and their investments, and then obviously identifying what additional advice or support you know, the advisor might yeah. need to provide that investor. So that's where we're using those, those sort of technologies. And the bigger impact for platforms and particularly moving forward is, I suppose, how our data or how the data that sits in our platforms integrates and, uh, I suppose, interfaces to the overall ecosystem that's in the marketplace. I think it'd be probably um, wrong to assume that all the investors' information is on our platform. Mm. And so we need to identify that, um, you know, they may want our in- information to intersect with other platforms information for example i think that's where the industry working out how to start and the integration points come together can really generate some significant efficiencies for businesses as well definitely and obviously with an increasing emphasis on quality client outcomes and regulatory compliance how can technology help to streamline the quality of advice review process yeah, I mean, <laughs> big question. <laughs> I think, yeah, if you look at the, the quality advice review, one of the key priorities there was to, you know, how do we bring quality advice to more people? And obviously, in the current environment, if we have 16,000 advisors, we're not going to have 32,000 in the next 12 months. So how do we actually generate more advice to be able to handle more customers and do so in a quality, meaningful manner? So the advice process needs to be more efficient. Platforms have to continue to, you know, they've gone a long way in terms of automation of workflows, client onboarding, et cetera. But, you know, that, that's continual investment and continual improvement needs to take place in that space. Mm-hmm. And as I just said before, you know, it's around the data and how do we aggregate and standardise that data from the various sources is really important. So that makes it easier for advisors to get a, a consolidated review of their customer and whether that sits inside the advisor's CRM, the, the platform or, or another plat- or another system, mm. uh, you know, remains to be seen. A lot of that's by, you know, advisor preferences, but we need to be able to integrate, intersect in a meaningful manner into, into those other systems as well to create that client view. Yeah, definitely. So it seems like platforms can really sort of help on that efficiency piece, freeing up advisors to obviously service more clients or to spend mm. more time, you know, face-to-face with their clients. Are there any challenges or considerations that need to be addressed as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's probably the biggest thing at the moment that we're looking around is data privacy and security. You know, there's been mm-hmm. a number of publicised, you know, security breaches. Yeah, definitely. Um, both inside and outside of wealth. I mean, the health industry has some challenges mm. as well. 
And it's, you know, how do we protect that client information is critical. Yeah, that really would, would be a company breaking outcome, mm. you know, from a longer term perspective. So building trust in the advisor client relationship and their wealth information. Yeah, people people talk about a lot of things, but most people won't talk about their wealth because you know, it's an intensely yeah. private subject. So the, the thought of having that breach is, is concerning for most people. Um, yeah. It's a really challenging area. So, you know, some of Australia's biggest companies I just mentioned have experienced data breaches. So continually to invest in you know, robust security measures and having real clear data protocols and how we encrypt data is incredibly important. And then, yeah, there's the interoperability of platforms and systems and that's really where the biggest efficiency gain will be to mm. ensure that we communicate seamlessly. And that's really, I think all all providers in the industry just, yeah, I think everyone's getting to that point where we just focus on what's the quality outcome for the advisor mm. and how do we make them more efficient? So developing you know, industry standardisation across APIs and integration points across microservices, et cetera, is really, really critical there. Premium performance history has always worked with financial advisors. We've worked with regulators and industry bodies to understand the needs and, and the challenges they face. And I think as an industry, you know, what's the term? Frenemies. We have to be frenemies <laughs> to a degree, yeah. our competitors, because obviously, you know, we're all facing common problems. Mm. And if we come up with some commonality and how we answer those problems, I think that's going to be to the betterment of the overall industry as well. Definitely. And uh, what do you find, speaking of that sort of, uh, you know, cybersecurity threat and obviously like you said we've seen that happen in the wealth space and outside of the wealth space with you know medibank and some of the mm. those sort of providers but do you find that advisors are sort of responsive to when you talk to them about the security side of things we're sort of you know we're writing more and more about the importance of staying sort of secure in that sense and why mm. advisors sort of need to think about it but in the sea of things that advisors need to think about it yeah. I sometimes feel cybersecurity is not on the top of that I don't, yeah, list. I don't think maybe it's on the top of their list I think there's a implicit uh, trust that they have with their providers that their providers are doing the right thing for yeah. them, whether it's ourselves or a CRM provider or another platform, et cetera, or their life life providers or whatever it is. I think mm. there's a, an implicit degree of trust in that relationship that we're doing the best that we can do to ensure that that's working. Obviously, from an advisor's own environment, they need to be paramount across that. And I think, you know, one of the challenges that we have there is financial advisors are just that. They're financial advisors. They're not cybersecurity experts. They're not yeah. engineering experts, et cetera. So they obviously have to outsource and, and work with the right providers to provide them that requirements as well. Definitely. And uh, Dennis, it seems that change is sort of one of the constant pieces when it comes to advice and wealth management, uh, the landscape. What do you see will continue to impact advisors? Obviously, uh, you know, the fallout of the quality of advice from you, as we said earlier, is going to sort of go on for some time. But what are some of those elements that you see impacting advisors? Yeah, look, I think the quality advice review side, mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, one of the bigger challenges that established advisors are probably faced with at the moment is as clients are moving you know, into their older years, et cetera, into, into more elderly age bracket, mm-hmm. it's how do they manage and stay relevant in, I suppose, the intergenerational transfer of yes. wealth as that's occurring. And we're probably going to see a, a significant intergenerational wealth transfer over the next decade. And it's how does the advisor remain relevant to the younger generations of that mm. of the client? And, and that will be a competitive process for them as well. So establishing a relationship, trying to work with them on wealth, you know, on financial literacy, et cetera, the importance of value advice and how they support that through the tools that they use, platforms, et cetera, should, you know, obviously help provide some transparency and, and assurance in that wealth transfer. 
But that would be a really, that's going to be a, a very competitive space for a lot of established advisors as their client base changes, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I think in the private wealth space, you know, we've got a, lot, a number of advisors who really focus on that high net worth investor segment and those sophisticated investment requirements and expectations that clients have. We are seeing a landscape where a number of advice firms are turning or dialing down their retail offerings and their exposure to retail investors. Mm. And that's been driven by the cost of advice, the requirements, et cetera. Some of the quality of advice review might change some of that view, but I think for a number of firms, they've sort of made a decision to move to wholesale and, and high net worth investors. And as a platform, we've had to keep up with that. So, you know, we have demands on significantly more sophisticated investment requirements and options, the ability to trade and report and administer those options and really complicated assets. You know, obviously now we're seeing a return to the bond market and fixed income requirements, which hasn't been there, you know, in that low interest rate environment for a long time. And the demands around those assets are a big requirement. And then obviously what happens is it's a bit of a top down. So you see those investments and alternative investment classes come into the high net worth space. And you'll see derivatives of that trickle down to the retail investor requirements as well. Mm. Um, as opposed to put an analogy, it might be like fashion. Mm. You see the crazy dress on, on the couture yeah. fashion shows, and that then trickles down into something that you might see at Grace Brothers or Myers. Myers, yes. sorry, not Grace Brothers, and show my age. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, I remember so, when it was Grace Brothers. Grace Brothers, yeah. <laughs> it was a big day when you went to Grace Brothers. But the private wealth market is, it, you know, it drives and, and leads the development of products that eventually come through to retail investors as well. And one of the things that we've really focused on is our ability to, I suppose, provide the execution, administration, and reporting on alternate investments as well. And that's a, a real strength, you know. And, you know, building that, I suppose, alternative unlisted investment mm. capability is a real point of difference for us. So an investor can have a very wide instrument base through our platforms and other platforms are going the same way, particularly that non-custodial capability as well. Mm. Um, so whether an investor wants to invest in art, wine, Rolex watches, whatever it might be, you know, we can do that. We can provide the administration valuations against those and we can actually do the holistic uh, reporting and total mm. wealth view as well. Yeah. So then is any final thoughts on how platforms might evolve over the next decade? Yeah, look, I mean, that's a great question. <laughs> a big one. Um, a big one, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, obviously the, the technology and digital continues to evolve rapidly. And so, you know, ongoing innovation and, re- and R&D is critical to keeping pace in, in the marketplace. Chat GPT, AI, machine learning, they all have a big role to play in the future state of platforms in the wealth industry. Um, more broadly, mm-hmm. I, I think you, you'll see an emergence of hybrid advice models, which will be a, a combination of AI-generated advice plus a dial-up, dial-down human touch as required. Mm-hmm. And that's you know that, that follows, I suppose, when you look at streaming services and, and other media that people use today on their phone, et cetera, you can dial up and dial down your price mm-hmm. points on that and, and how you want to use those services. I think financial advice will start to move towards that, particularly at the retail end, and that might be how super super funds might approach it. We know that two of the banks have indicated that they're interested in in, in entering the marketplace, well, we're interested around digital advice uh, Mm. and and how that could become a scalable opportunity. So I think that's that's something to look for. From our own perspective, things like data visualisation, predictive analytics, looking at behavioural indicators as well on clients, that's, that's what we'll be looking at investing in. Yeah. And that'll enable 
platforms like ourselves to you know to continue to develop sophisticated tools to enhance that advice and review process and, and obviously contribute to ultimately better client outcomes. Mm. But you know, the, the most important thing for any platform is getting the basics right and creating that central technology hub and core books and records source of truth that allows advisors um, to service their clients, report and administer their clients with you know, mm. complete confidence that what they're doing is bulletproof. And our focus is you know, at our core, we've just got to continuously improve that core. Yeah, definitely. So lots on on the radar ahead. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Dennis. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for your time and speak to you soon. Speak to you soon. And thank you to our audience for tuning in. So that was Dennis Oreck. He is the Chief Strategy Officer at Premium. Thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you again next week. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you. Guests appearing on this podcast may have a commercial relationship with the companies mentioned.